English 325, good to see you all. Uh, Walt Whitman, our second day on Walt Whitman. I'm gonna rehearse a little bit about what we talked about on Monday. Um, and then we are going to kind of do a little bit of a close read. I said on the guiding questions that you have to wear putting our close reading hats on. This is my close reading hat. This is the close reading hat I wear every year when we do these poems. I'm not gonna read it, I'm not gonna wear it the whole day, but that is the close reading hat. We're gonna read this poem, kind of go line by line through a little bit of it, and um, look at how the poem um, reflects in its form and its content this idea of people coming together. Right? This is something that obviously Whitman is really, really interested, concerned, and invested in. Right? This idea of people coming together. Right? That's something we talked a lot about on Monday, and that will reinforce and rehearse a little bit today as well. Um, even in pre kind of COVID times, when you got into an elevator, let's just imagine this kind of situation. You get into an elevator and there's one other person in the elevator. And that person is kind of off to one of the corners. Where do you go? If you get in an elevator and there's another person, you don't know who they are. Where do you go in the elevator? The opposite corner. <laughs> you go as far away as possible, right? Okay, that's just a totally normal thing to do. Most of us do that. Anybody, anybody not do that? Yeah. Walt Whitman is the person who, if you were in an elevator by yourself, he would get in and he would sidle up real close to you. Not necessarily in a creepy way, right? But this is the kind of how I want you to think about Walt Whitman, right? Walt Whitman is actually, he doesn't know anything about you, but he's really curious about you. He wants to know everything about you. Not just about you as a person, but he literally wants, and this is, this is a little creepy, he wants to know a lot about your body too. He really wants to study it. Like he wants to take it apart, not physically. He wants to take it apart and then reconstitute it and put it back together. Walt Whitman is the guy who, if you're in an elevator by yourself, he's gonna come up and stand right next to you, right? He's really, really invested in you as a person. He wants to know who you are. He might even strike up a conversation. Can you imagine that? some random person saying hi to you in an elevator. Shit, Walt Whitman is the guy who, if you're in a subway car and you're the only person in the entire car and, another, and Walt Whitman comes on, he's gonna sit in the chair right next to you. Right? Because he's very curious about you and he wants to understand your relation to him. Right? And that's how I want you to think about Walt Whitman today. We're not in a subway car, but we are in a ferry. We are crossing over from Manhattan to Brooklyn or vice versa across, uh, Harley help me out, the East River. Got it, nice. We're crossing in a ferry from Manhattan to Brooklyn on the East River, right? And this is the scenario, this is the situation, this is the circumstance of this poem, right? As we are on this ferry with all of these different people, all these workers either coming home or coming from home, right? Going to work. And Whitman is on this ferry and he's just fucking happy, man. He loves it. He wants to be with these people. He wants to know more about them. And he thinks there's something important to all of these people getting together in this one venue. Okay, so that's where we're going to go today. But that's the kind of idea that I want to keep in your back of your mind about Whitman. So let's rehearse a little bit. I got to share this uh, PowerPoint, pull it up for you all. So what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to kind of rehearse a little bit of that lesson from uh, the preface of Leaves of Grass. And then we're going to read a couple of parts of Crossing Brooklyn Ferry to talk about this idea, right? Somehow how the formal and contextual features of the poem um, lend themselves to an understanding of Whitman as really invested in the process of bringing people together. Okay, so let's rehearse a little bit from Monday. So if you were here, if you've listened in, 
it would help if you would kind of shout out some some rehearsals or some answers, right? So on Monday, we looked at this poem, which is not a poem we actually read, but it's an excerpt of a Whitman poem called I Sing the Body Electric. And we talked about how this poem is really representative of or demonstrative of some of uh, the values and ideals that Whitman holds about America and that he wants to have reflected in poetry. So if you recall from Monday, one of the big important things we said is that Whitman inaugurates a really new, a really distinct, a really radical type of poetry in the United States, okay? And this radical, distinct, and new type of poetry, he believes, better and more accurately represents the values and ideals of this nation, okay? So we talked really about three different characteristics of Whitman's poetry, and we talked through why they are representative of the particular values and ideals of the nation. So I'm just gonna read off this little excerpt from the poem called I Sing the Body Electric. And then we're gonna talk about what's American about this, according to Whitman, right? So, so let me read this off and, and we'll talk about it. The love of the body of man or woman box account, the body itself box account, that of the male is perfect and that of the female is perfect. The expression of the face box account, but the, oops, sorry. But the expression of a well-made man appears not only in his face, it is in his limbs and joints also. It is curiously in the joints of his hips and wrists. It is in his walk, the carriage of his neck, the flex of his waist and knees. Dress does not hide him. The strong, sweet quality he has strikes through the cotton and broadcloth. To see him pass conveys as much as the best poem, perhaps more. You linger to see his back and the back of his neck and shoulder side. Um, just bear with me one second. I'm going to let one more person into class here. Cool. So, okay, we talked about this poem a little bit on Monday. We talked about how it was representative of particular values and ideals of America. And we talked, geez, and we talked a little bit about how its form and its content is also representative of particular values and ideals. So what do you notice about this poem? What's distinctive about it? In terms of its form, let's start there. We talked about this on Monday. So anybody who's already listened in can help along too. What's distinctive about the form of this poem? What's new, different, radical about it? Isn't it, oh, sorry. Sorry, no, you can go. Isn't it free verse? Yeah. And what does that mean, Olivia? Do you remember what that means? Um, it like, no standard rhyme scheme or pattern. Yeah. No, and I'm writing this in the chat for everybody. No standard rhyme scheme and no conventional metrical pattern. Right, so sometimes if you guys have taken a class like Intro to Poetry, or maybe you've taken English 290 or something, you learn that a lot of poems have kind of standard metrical patterns, right? So like the iambic pentameter is maybe the one that you're most familiar in with because that's the metrical pattern that Shakespeare writes in, right? The iambic pentameter. That's not here, right? There's no standard rhyme scheme and there's no standard metrical pattern. It's written in what we call free verse, okay? So that's one really important aspect of the form of this poem. And Whitman actually thinks that free verse is more representative of American ideals and American values. So what about the content? Okay, so free verse is the form, that's important. It's, there's no kind of structure to the lines They kind of like go on long and then they swing back around and all of this stuff. But what about the content? What is this poem about? 
literally, what is it about this little excerpt of this poem? What is he looking at? What is the speaker looking at? He's looking at like a man. Yeah, he's just looking at a guy, right? Just a common person, a person walking down the street, right? And what is the speaker doing as he's looking at this person? What is the speaker focusing on? His body structure, like what he's wearing. Yeah, what he's wearing, how he looks, right? And not just like um, this kind of like overall conception of how he looks, but like he's looking at his face. He's looking at his limbs and joints. He's, he's looking at his hips and wrists, his neck. He's looking at how he walks. And he's creepily kind of looking at this guy, just taking it all in, like every little part. Right, so on Monday we said Whitman is so kind of invested in the body here and in the particular parts of the body that he actually comes to, um, he makes up a word for a body part that doesn't really have a word, right? So shoulder side, right? There's no word for that. So he makes it up. He's so invested and interested in particular parts of the body that he's making up words to describe it. So this is what he's doing. This is the situation or circumstance of this poem is he just sees somebody on the street walking along and he is captivated and curious of this person. Not even just what he looks like, not even just what he's wearing, but also literally what he smells like. The strong, sweet quality he has comes right through his clothing, Whitman says, okay? So the point here is that um, Whitman is not really interested in talking about like, let's say from Monday, Paul Revere's ride, like the Revolutionary War, or like some epic moment in our national past. No, what Whitman is actually interested in writing about is common people and common experiences. I'm writing these in the chat as well. Common people, common experiences, right? Whitman doesn't want to write about like the epic battles that we had. He doesn't want to write about the revolution. He doesn't want to write about the president, right? He's not particularly interested in those things. What Whitman wants to write about is common people and common experiences. Whitman thinks that this type of poetry, free verse and with an emphasis on common people and common experiences, he thinks that this type of poetry is more reflective of American values and American ideals. Does anybody recall why Whitman thinks this? That free verse poetry that talks about common people and common experiences is more reflective of American values and American ideals. Why does Whitman think that? He talks about like the government of the United States and he says that the power of the United States is really vested in who? The people. Yeah, and by people, he means very particularly like the masses. He doesn't mean the elites. He doesn't mean someone like the president. He doesn't mean the governing institutions of the country. So if you'll recall from the preface, he says, the genius, the power, the grandeur of America doesn't come from its churches or its government or anything like that. The genius, the power, the grandeur of America 
comes from its people, its common people. Okay, that's what he says, right? And so what he's trying to do in this poem is reflect that idea that the power of the United States comes from its common people. Now, if we were to kind of be in a political science class and we talked about a governmental structure where the power is vested in the people, what word would we use? Democracy. Yeah, we would say that what Whitman is interested in, what he is really the poet of, is he's the poet of democracy. Whitman is interested in democratic ideals. He's interested in how you bring all of these different people together, and in bringing all of these different people together, you express the will of the demos. I'm gonna write that word in the chat. So dem democracy comes from this Greek word demos, which means the people. Okay, that's what Whitman is interested in. He's interested in common people coming together, expressing their will and exerting power. Okay. You can see that in this poem, right? Because Whitman is really interested in every little bit of your body, right? Every little bit of this person's body. He wants to catalog it. He wants to describe every little bit. But he's not just interested in individual bodies. And this is another thing we said on Monday. He's not just interested in individual bodies. He's also interested in what we might call the body politic, right? He's interested in all of the people of the nation who come together to form the people, right? He's interested in everyone, but what, what he does is he picks out the individual and he describes it just like he picks out that body part. He picks out the individual and he describes it. He picks out another individual and he describes it. And he brings all of those people together, just like in this poem, he brings together all of those body parts. And what he does is he takes all those parts and he reconstitutes them into a distinctive whole. Right? He takes the voices of all of these different people. He takes the experiences of all of these different people and he brings them together. And then he says that the poet's job is to express the will of that collective mass of people. So just like he's cataloging, cataloging literally parts of bodies in this poem, cataloging literal parts of bodies, what he does in his poetry more generally is he catalogs the experiences of different and distinct people and he brings them together and he expresses their common will. So Whitman is really in this respect, in this regard, the poet of democracy. He feels like writing in free verse with this common language, talking about common people and common topics, is reflective of the American democratic values that founded the nation. Of course, we know that that's an ideal, idealized perspective, right? These democratic values that founded the nation weren't particularly kind of democratic or equal or fair to all. But Whitman is talking about an idealized version of this kind of founding ideals of the country. Any questions about that? That's just a, basically a rehearsal from Monday, but if you haven't listened in yet, maybe you haven't heard it. Any questions about that? Okay, let's move on. Let's get our close reading hats on, shall we? Let's do it. Crossing Brooklyn Ferry. Harley, have you ever been on a ferry across the Brooklyn? Has anybody ever been on a ferry across the East River? I think I have. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Caitlin, you have too? Yeah. 
That's beautiful. Okay, so this is the, so I'm 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 Caitlin. That didn't sound very excited at all, but I'm excited that people in the class have had this experience. That's wonderful. That's great. This is a really famous poem. So your part, you'll notice in this poem, Harley and Caitlin and anybody else who's been on this ferry, Whitman's talking about you. He's literally talking about you. We'll get to that part. Okay, he's talking about you. Okay. All right, let's start talking about this poem. What in this poem, in terms of its form and its content, gives you a sense that people are uniting, coming together, becoming one? Flood tide below me, I see you face to face. Clouds of the west, sun there half an hour high. I see you also face to face. Crowds of men and women attired in the usual costumes. How curious you are to me. On the ferry boats, the hundreds and hundreds that cross, returning home, are more curious to me than you suppose. And you that shall cross from shore to shore years hence are more to me and more in my meditations than you might suppose. Okay, what's going on here at the beginning of this poem, right? We've already set the, set the scene, right? The situation of this poem is that Walt Whitman is on the Brooklyn Ferry, crossing from Manhattan to Brooklyn, over the East River, the implication is that people are at the end of the day coming home from work, right? And he looks down at the water below him and he says, I see you water face to face. And then he looks up at the clouds and the sun and he says, I see you also face to face. So he's building connection between himself and the natural world above and below him. But that's not good enough for Walt, right? Walt doesn't just wanna see what's above and below him. He wants to stare you in the face as well. And so it's not just looking up at the sky and looking down at the water. It's also looking at all of the people, the hundreds and hundreds that are with him on this boat. And he says, how curious you are to me. What does he mean? What does Whitman mean when he says that he's, these other people are curious to him? Just literally, what is he saying there? Like, I wanna know more about them. Yeah, exactly. It's not that like he finds them like curiosities or something. It's that he wants to know. He wants to know more about them. He wants to see them face to face, just like he sees the water and the sun, right? But that's not it for Whitman. And this is where kind of Harley and Caitlin's experience comes into, comes into the fold here, because it's not just for Whitman or the speaker, however you want to think about it. It's not just for him, uh, the people who are on that boat with him in that moment in 1855, right? Or whenever he writes this poem or conceptualizes it. It's not just the people who are on that ferry now. It's also you that shall cross from shore to shore years hence are more to me and more in my meditations. That is to say, I'm thinking about you Whitman's like, I'm thinking about you more than you might suppose. So what is he saying about people in the future, like Harley and Caitlin? What about those people? I think it's kind of saying like, because I'm having this experience now and all of these people are having this experience now, those who are going to like have the same experience in the future, like makes us connected because of this single thing. Exactly. He's looking out into the future, out into the unknown, and he's saying, there are gonna be hundreds and hundreds and thousands more people on the Brooklyn Ferry 
having the same experience that I am, right? People named Caitlin Camacho are gonna be having the same experience as me, Walt Whitman, right? That's what he's saying here. And he's saying that these people are curious to me as well. It's not just the people who are on the boat with him in this moment, it's also the people who are going to have this experience, this connecting experience with him later on too. Okay, so that sets the, the scene, right? A connection to the sky above, to the water below, a connection to the people who are on this boat with him, but also not just on this boat with him, people who are gonna be on this boat years and years hence, okay? So later, a little bit later on, he says, it avails not, avails not means it doesn't matter. It avails not time or place, distance avails not. I am with you you men and women of a generation, or ever so many generations hence, just as you feel when you look on the river and sky, so I felt. Just as any of you is one of a living crowd, I was one of a crowd. Just as you are refreshed by the gladness of the river and the bright flow, I was refreshed. Just as you stand and lean on the rail, yet hurry with the swift current, I stood yet was hurried. Just as you look on the numberless mass of ships and the thick-stemmed pipes of steamboats, I looked. Okay, first question to ask as it concerns this little excerpt from the poem is, what do you notice about how this portion of the poem is put together? What's distinctive about the form of this portion of the poem? Well, the repetition of like, just as you, just as, just as. So it's kind of like connecting how, what those people are going to go through to like how he went through and everyone else. Wonderful. So Jesse, the word you use is repetition, which is perfectly right. When we're talking about it in poetry, we either use the word repetition or we can use the fancy word, which I'm typing in the chat called anaphora. Anaphora is the repetition of particularly initial phrases and repeating lines, right, in poetry. Um, but repetition is totally fine too, but it's anaphora, right, is the, is the kind of, is the term, right? Yeah, that's exactly what Whitman, what I want you to focus on, right, is this repetition of just as you, I. Just as you, I. Okay. So just to go off of Jesse's point a little bit more, I, I'm look, so I wear this hat when I teach this poem because it's a close reading hat. But now that like I see myself on the screen, I realize why people think I'm such a freaking weirdo. Because I just wear this hat for no reason. This is the close reading hat. So let's focus on this form, right? Just as you, I. What's this, just to go off of Jesse's point, what's this suggesting about the nature of people coming together or connecting with one another? Just as you, I, what is Whitman saying here? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to accomplish? Between himself and the you of that moment or generations hence, what is he trying to do? He's trying to like establish a connection. Yeah, great. Perfect. Yes, yes. That's exactly what this repetition of this form is trying to do. He's suggesting just like you did this thing, I did this thing. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm being a little facetious, but I'm actually not when I say like this poem is written to Harley, right? As a person who's been on the Brooklyn Ferry. 
Like this is literally what Whitman is doing. He's saying, just as you, Harley, were refreshed by the gladness of the river, so was I, Walt Whitman. Like he's looking out into the future and he's trying in that moment to connect to people who have had this shared experience. And you see that in the form of the poem in this repetition of the structure of just as you, I, just as you, I. Now, okay, so that's a moment where we're coming together, right? But notice, all of these um, lines in the middle of this excerpt of the poem, they're broken in the middle, right? Just as you stand and lean on the rail, I stood yet was hurried. Just as you is one of a living crowd, I was one of a crowd. There's always a break between the just as you and the I. So anybody know the name for that in poetry when there's a kind of a really stark break in the middle of a line? I wouldn't expect you to necessarily. It's called a, I'm gonna pop it in the chat. It's called a caesura. There's a stark pause in the middle of the line that distinguishes the beginning of the line from the end. And this is really, consistent in Whitman's poetry, especially in this poem, is he uses a lot of what we call caesuras, this pause in the middle of the line, right? Just as any of you is one of a living crowd, pause, I was one of a crowd, okay? So just as a, as a little aside, right, Olivia right at the beginning of class said Whitman writes in free verse, which means like there's no rhyme scheme and there's no metrical pattern. That doesn't mean that Whitman isn't using poetic strategies and techniques. Right, he's using anaphora, he's using caesura, right? He's using poetic strategies and techniques. They're just not, not the ones that we associate with traditional poetry, okay? So what's the point of these caesuras? What do they do? What do they divide? What do these divides in the middle of these lines? Literally, what, they, what do they divide? Like what words do they divide? What kind of ideas do they divide? It divides him from like the other people. Yeah, it divides you from I. Exactly right, Jesse. So at the beginning of this poem, again, this is early in the poem, right? At the beginning of this poem, we have this move towards connection, just as you, I, bringing closer. But we also have distance. We literally have distance in the lines, right? The distance between you and I is great. And the distance between you and I also has this massive gap or this pause between them too, okay? So we have this process of coming together, but we're not, we're not one yet, right? We're still a you and an I here for Whitman, okay? We're coming together, we're having a shared experience, but we're not one yet, right? This is early in the poem. Let's look a little bit later, let's see, Kind of continue to kind of feel out this process of coming together of becoming one okay i'm going to pass over the the passage on the top just in the interest of time and move to the bottom one what is it then between us what is the count of the scores or hundreds of years between us whatever it is it avails not distance avails not and place avails not I too lived, Brooklyn of ample hills was mine. I too walked the streets of Manhattan Island and bathed in the waters around it. I too felt the curious abrupt questioning stir within me. In the day among crowds of people, sometimes they came upon me 
In my walks home late at night, or as I lay in my bed, they came upon me. I too had been struck from the float forever held in solution. I too had received identity by my body. That I was, I knew, was of my body. And what I should be, I knew I should be of my body. Ooh, gets heady at the end there. We'll make sense of that eventually, right? That's pretty weird at the end there. So let's start up at the beginning. Whitman says, what's between us? What divides us? The implication is, does anything divide us? Really? What's the count? What's the matter of the hundreds of years that divide us? He says, it avails not. It doesn't matter. The distance between us doesn't matter. The place between us doesn't matter. The years between us do not matter. He says, I lived too, just like you. Brooklyn of Ample Hills was mine. Anybody uh, been to the ice cream shop in Brooklyn called Ample Hills? My friend works there. Yeah, such good ice cream. Really good. And the name comes from here. So do not tell me that Walt Whitman is not important. The name of the ice cream shop in Brooklyn, which is very, very delicious, comes from the Walt Whitman poem, Crossing Brooklyn Fair, Brooklyn of Ample Hills. If you take nothing else away from English 325, the relevancy of Walt Whitman for the contemporary ice cream in New York City. Yeah, they have several in New York City now. They've, they've gone beyond Brooklyn now, right? Yeah, anyways. Right, so Whitman is saying, it doesn't matter. There's nothing between us, right? The distance between us, the time, the place, there's nothing between us. He says, I too. So notice it's not you and I anymore. It is I too. What's the difference between you and I, you and I, and now this different formulation of I too. What's the difference between those in terms of connection? Any thoughts on that? Are we closer together now in this I too, as opposed to you and I? What do you think? The you and I like shows that there was like separation between, but like the I too shows that like the connection has been made. Yeah, good. And you see that too in the us at the beginning, right? And the two questions at the top, right? So the you and the I, you're right. There's a connection that's trying to be formed. We're trying to bridge that gap. We're trying to come together. And this I too suggests kind of we're getting closer and closer and closer, right? I too. The other thing to kind of two other things to mention about this stanza, which are really important is that at this point in the poem, Whitman is no longer really on the ferry, right? He's taking us metaphorically off of the ferry and he's taking us to the streets of Manhattan. He bathes in the waters around it. I don't know how advisable that is in the 21st century, but uh, bathing in the waters off Manhattan, I'm not sure. But um, he, he's bathing in the waters off Manhattan. But he's in the streets and then he brings you all the way to his home and he brings you all the way into his bed. He says that curious, abrupt questionings stir within me, feelings, emotions, thoughts, just like they stir in you, they stir in me. They come upon me when I'm in crowds of people in the daytime. They come upon me when I'm walking home late at night. They come upon me when I'm laying in bed about to go to sleep. These curious, abrupt questionings. So what he's saying here is that the connection that you and I have it's not just that we're on a ferry together. It's not just that we have this shared experience. It's also what? What's the nature of the connection that he's drawing now? It's not just 
we were both on the Brooklyn Ferry. It's what else? What connects Whitman and everyone else now? It's not just the ferry, what is it? What does he mean when he says that I too felt the curious, abrupt questioning stir within me? What is he trying to suggest that we share in common, all of us? The curiosity of others. Yeah, right? Like, I too have felt these feelings that you felt. I too have desired to know like you have, whether about others or more about myself, whatever. I have felt these emotions, right? I have had these questionings stir within me. This is of a very different character than just Walt Whitman saying, hey, we were on a ferry together, right? So what he's doing is he's moving the uh, location of shared experience or the location of common connection from just this workaday experience of the ferry to something much deeper, much more psychological, right? Much more emotional, right? It's not just we walked the streets at the same time, right? Or bathed in the waters off Manhattan Island. It's also that we are feeling things together. I felt what you felt, right? He takes us all the way out of the boat, into the streets, into the home, and into the bed here. He's suggesting a commonality and a coming together. All right, what about the end of this, uh, this stanza? Just a kind of a small aside, just kind of moving us off of this idea of unity or coming together, just for a second. What does it mean to say, I too had received identity by my body? Anybody want to put that into different types of words. I too had received identity by my body. That I was, I knew was of my body. What is he saying there? That's weird. It's a bit heavy, a bit enigmatic. But think back to what we talked about at the beginning of class and on Monday about how Whitman is interested in and really invested in the body, like people's bodies. What is he saying there? to receive identity by my body. Instead of by there, which is kind of an anachronistic use of that term, you might just say, I too had received identity from my body. If we change that word from by to from, I had received identity from my body. That I was, I knew was from my body. What is he saying there? Is he trying to say like, he's received identity as in like what people see is just his body. They don't see his curiosities, his emotions and what they share. Well, you're close, Olivia. You're totally close, but in right. fact, you're totally close, right? But actually what he's saying is very counterintuitive for us. He's saying that like, it's not the case that people have only seen his body. And so they don't see to the core of him. What he's actually saying is like, my identity is my body. He's actually locating, right, the importance of identity formation in the physical body, right? 
He's not saying like, oh, you don't see the real me because you can only see what's on the outside. Whitman is actually saying, ah, actually what's on the outside is actually really important to our identity, right? This is why he's so invested in bodies and physical bodies, right? He says, I have received identity from my body. He's saying that me personally, the physical material mass that is me is important to who I am. It's not just the soul, it's also the physical body. That I was, I knew was of my body. Who I am is my body. Who I am is what you see. Why would Whitman be so invested in saying, who I am is what you can see? Why would that be an important thing to say for somebody who wants to connect people, to unite them, to have them come together? Why would it be so important for him to say, who I am is what you can see? He wants us to come together. He wants to be able to look at you face to face and connect with you. So why is it important that your identity is readable on your body for women? Well, going based off of like how like I read the rest of it, um, I feel like it's kind of saying like, if you don't talk to people, you can't connect with them. So like their, their identity of how they present themselves is kind of your way to connect with them. Exactly, right? So setting aside talk even, if you can't read who somebody is by looking at their body, if you can't know someone's identity by looking at them, how do you connect with them? Precisely, Jesse, how do you do that? There's no way to do that, it's impossible. That's why it's so important for Whitman that he is of his body, that he received identity from his body because if he's looking at you and he wants to connect with you and know who you are, he needs to be able to get some sense of your identity through your physical presence, right? So for Whitman, it's not just like the soul makes the man, right? Like you're just seeing the outside of me, but what's really true about me is the inside, which is a very kind of 21st century, almost platitude, right? Don't judge a book by its cover or something, right? It's what's, what's important is on the inside, not the outside. Whitman is saying, actually, what's on the outside is really important too. The body is really important. The body is one of the primary ways in which we connect to one another. And I don't mean that in like a physical way. I just mean that like literally like when we interact, right? We approach each other through our bodies. Like that's part of our identity. That's how we connect. So that's important to women too. Okay, so just to set, step back just one second in this stanza to talk about what is happening here with regard to uniting and coming together. Um, just a couple of things to notice, right? The I too seems to be a maturation of the just as you I thing, right? So the just as you I keeps us a little farther apart. This I too moment starts to bring us closer together. That's one thing. The second thing is that it's no longer just about the shared experience on the ferry, right? It's also about the shared experience of having abrupt questioning stir within us. It's the shared experience of like psychological um, issues right, of coming together, of having emotions, of thinking about others. That also is something that brings us together. So it's not just the ferry, it's something much more personal and much more psychological as well. It's more intimate than just the ferry. We go all the way to the bed, right? And then the last thing to say is that Woodman really truly believes that the body, the physical body, the physical presence is important. And he believes it's important because he believes that the physical body, the physical presence is what's determinative of our identity. And that's how we connect to one another. Any questions on any of that stuff? 
Cool. I think one more slide, the end of the poem, and then we'll finish up. A beautiful last couple of stanzas here. Appearances now or henceforth indicate what you are, you necessary film. Again, he's talking about the body here. Appearances are a necessary film. Think about it. This little skin that we have, this is just a film over our soul, over the rest of us. But he's saying that it's actually totally necessary. It envelops the soul. Appearances now or henceforth indicate what you are. Your appearance indicates what you are. You necessary film, continue to envelop the soul about my body for me and your body for you. Be hung out divinest aromas, thrive cities, bring your freight, bring your shows, ample and sufficient rivers, expand, being than which none else is perhaps more spiritual. Keep your places, objects than which none else is more lasting. You have waited, you always wait, you dumb, beautiful ministers. We receive you with free sense at last and are insensate henceforward. Not you anymore shall be able to foil us or withhold yourselves from us. We use you and do not cast you aside. We plant you permanently within us. We fathom you not, we love you. There is perfection in you also. You furnish your parts toward eternity, great or small. You furnish your parts toward the soul. Parts coming together at the end, right? Something that we've talked a lot about, bringing all of these disparate parts together, furnishing them greater, greater small towards eternity, towards one big thing, right? But just to focus a little bit on this last stanza to make a little bit more sense of it. We're back on the ferry now. And Whitman is looking across the ferry to the shore. And he says, he's looking at what he calls dumb, beautiful ministers. He doesn't mean dumb like stupid here. Dumb means mute. Because these people are all the way on the other edge of the shore. They're ministers because you really can't make out what they're wearing. They're just little black lumps. Like a minister wearing all black. It's a dumb, beautiful minister. He's looking at people on the other shore that he's about to connect with. And he says, we receive you, right? We use you. We do not cast you aside. We plant you, the people on the other edge of the shore who the boat is coming to. We plant you permanently within us. We love you. There is perfection in you. We take your parts and we furnish them toward the whole, right? We take your parts and we furnish them toward eternity. So he's looking out at the other shore, he's seeing these people, and he's making this connection. Now, just the last thing to say, right at the end, where we have this kind of redemptive, declarative, climactic moment where he sees the people on the other edge of the shore, and he begins to kind of envelop them within himself. He takes all of their parts and brings them into this collective whole in the way we've been talking about. So just one thing to say in terms of the form at the end of this poem, or the language. Most of this poem is, has been about just as you I, or just the I, right? What comes to the fore at the end? What other kind of subject comes to the fore at the end? There's still you, right? There's still people on the other shore, but what has happened here? What's the, what's the new subject of the poem? It's no longer I, who is it? We. Yeah. Where'd the speaker go? Where'd Whitman go? There's no more I. The I has turned into a we. What does that suggest about what's happened over the course of this poem? What's happened to the speaker? 
they've made like connections to, they form the connections that they were wanting to form. Exactly. The I has become a we. This individualized, individuated speaker has now become a collective. Literally, the poem is about a process of uniting and of coming together. And that is reflected in the form and language of the poem. Right? The I turns into the we. The speaker is an individual and turns into the collective. Any questions on any of that? And then, Jesse, I'll get to your question in the chat. Any thoughts, concerns about anything that we've done today as I pop around my fuzzy ball on my head? Any of you listening in, you missed it. You missed the close reading ad. Maybe I'll wear it on Friday. Any questions? Jesse asked in the chat, when is the extra credit due? I'd like it to be to me by the last week of the semester. Uh, I would appreciate that so that I can kind of put it towards your response papers. You'll notice that for those of you who are in groups four, five, or six, your last response paper is due the week after break. And then I have a week to kind of tabulate response paper grades. So if I get your extra credit within that week and you want to put it towards a response paper grade, that would be the best time to do it. Any other questions? All right, it's been fun. Take it easy, everybody. See you later. Bye.